Hey guys, welcome to episode five of Eating with Jane Paul. We're here with our second guest, well, third guest, Aisha. Hey, it's me. I'm here. <laughs> um, well, we're so glad to have Aisha on here, and we mm-hmm. have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about with you guys today. And we're gonna yeah. start off here with our social media shout out. If you could follow us on Twitter at, at eatingj underscore and underscore p. And then if you could follow us on Instagram at eating with Jane Paul, please. And thank you. Yeah. yeah. And check out our new um, cover art. I mean, shout out to Sydney Johnson. Just again. Okay. I mean, it's a phenomenal piece of work. I really like it. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really cool. Yeah. Go check it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited, Aisha. I mean, today, I mean, we reached to Aisha a week ago, I think, and asked her if she had any interest in coming on the show. And she was very enthusiastic about saying yes. <laughs> um, That's not true. <laughs> She's shaking her back. That's a lie. I said, I don't want to do that. And then you said, but Paul wants you to. And I said, I would do anything for Paul. We love you, Aisha. There, there you go. That's that's the truth right so there. Nice, but... Just trying um, to cover you but i don't need you to cover me <laughs> gotcha um but anyway we're excited to just kind of yeah have you get to know our listeners better and how have our listeners get to know you better um yeah i mean i've known you for a couple years now a few years now um kind of lost track but um aisha someone who is yeah a really good friend a co-worker and I'm really excited to get to talk to her about her kind of life story a little bit. Um, maybe even some of her experiences being in Muncie, where part of this podcast is currently being uh, broadcasted. <laughs> um, yep. So, yeah, I guess without further ado, Aisha, would you want to kind of tell us a little bit more about you, your life, kind of a snapshot of your story? Um, yeah, sure. So how far, I mean, like my story, like how far back should I go? Like what's the thing? No, I mean, I mean, what, whatever you would give in like a quick snapshot of like coming to Muncie, coming to the Lord, like those things. Oh, okay. Um, so I came to Muncie in 2013, the fall of 2013 was my freshman year of college Mm -hmm. Um, I was a music media production major. That's why I came to Ball State. Yeah, shout out to Paul. Um, so I came specifically for that program. Um, I was really involved in high school. Like I was in like a million things. Like I was like in band, orchestra. I was in outside ensembles. Mm-hmm. I was in student government, junior cabinet, senior cabinet, Latin mm-hmm. club. Like it was like everything that I could possibly be involved in. I was yeah. in. Um, and when I came to Ball State, I wanted to be a music supervisor. So that's someone who contracts music for like TV shows and movies. That was like the dream and the goal. Yeah. Um, but I also came to Ball State not as a follower mm. of Jesus. I was really interested in Christianity and learning more about um, faith. And part of the reason why was I grew up in a Christian home. Both of my parents are Christians um, and profess like following Jesus but um, my parents have like different expressions mm-hmm. of what that means. Mm-hmm. So probably until I was 10, my family like regularly went to church. Part of the time it was my entire family. Some of the time it was just like me, my mom and my sister. And um, yeah, when I was in high school, my throughout junior high and high school, my family completely stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. And halfway through high school, my mom started going back to church again. But I was probably really, like, resentful of the time that she spent there because my family, um, yeah, it was, like, my parents just had a lot of marital issues while I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard for me to see my mom, like, gone a lot. Uh, But kind of long story short, my parents divorced my freshman year of college. So a lot of the reason why I was interested in faith was I think I was really just looking for, like, purpose and meaning and was trying to make sense Mm -hmm. out of like yeah just like really hard circumstances um 
So I came to Ball State and got plugged into the revolution pretty quickly. I probably went to a house church, maybe like my second or third week of college and um, just kept going back every week because I really enjoyed the people there. One of the first people I met was um, this girl named Tony Lee and then um, Mm -hmm. Brandon Clemens and Dion Brumby. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, I really enjoy all those people a lot. So, yeah, um, yeah, I just kept going back and people were like hanging out on the weekend. And being I'm from a part of Ohio that like no one else from my high school came to Ball State. So I didn't know any people. So I was just excited to have like people to hang out with, honestly, um, on the Mm -hmm. weekend. So, yeah, um, they invited me to go to fall retreat my freshman year. And at first, I, like, didn't know if I wanted to go because I was also asked to play viola in um, Frankenstein kind of randomly. And I was like, oh, I feel like I should do that. And I called my mom and I was like, mom, what should I do? Um, and she was like, well, you yeah. always have an opportunity to play the viola, but you may never have the opportunity to go to a fall retreat again. And I was like, you're right. Like, yeah. that's a good reason. So I went to fall retreat which is kind of ironic now because after the end of the semester, I dropped that major and I don't think I've played my viola in years, but I've been to fall retreat every year since 2013. Um, So yeah, I went to fall retreat and while I was there, I heard the gospel for the first time. Um, And I just remember like that having a huge impact on me, but I can be like a really private person. So I probably spent like a few weeks just really, thinking through the implications of that and then I think the Mm -hmm. thing that like really solidified um my desire to know Jesus more intimately was um I went to a purity talk Mm. my freshman year it was at the Clemens's house when they still lived on college in the Ferns house yeah and um I just got to hear like a lot of women really vulnerably share about their lives and it was like women I had never met before but they were like crying just like in this group full of people and I was like this is really weird like I don't know anyone who does this just like talks about their lives so vulnerably and I was like realizing that that was like a community that I was really deeply craving and desiring but one that I had like no access to um and yeah I think that night like there were like these really crazy circumstances like there was they thought there was like a shooter on campus and so campus got like shut down and we got like stuck at the Clemens's house and I was like oh man I was trying to get home because I was supposed to go to a Justin Timberlake concert (laughs) the next day with my older sister and she lives in Cincinnati so I was like gonna go to Cincinnati to like spend the night with her before we went to the concert and I was like panicking I was like this is a two and a half hour drive like so far away and I was, like, so short with people. Like, I was so annoyed. And um, for whatever reason, that night when I was, like, driving to my sister's house, I just, like, decided to give my life to the Lord um, mm. that night, which was pretty cool. Mm. And then yeah. after that, yeah, I just got super involved in the Revo. Um, I went to leadership training the summer after my freshman year. And then again the summer after my sophomore year. And... Um, yeah, uh, part of my story is that I double majored in college, and one of the majors that I had, um, I designed through the Honors College, and it's basically centered around the question, what do you want your life to be about? So answering that question for myself and then helping other people kind of answer that question and really intentionally yep. living out whatever answer they choose. And um, yeah, when I went to LT in the summer of 2015, after my sophomore year, I realized like a lot of ministry is just helping people figure out that what they want to live their lives for is Jesus. And I realized that's something that like really resonated with me. And so um, summer after my junior year, I like solidified my decision to go on staff and went on staff um, June of 2017 after I graduated from college with Jay, mm-hmm. actually, which is probably when we became <laughs> friends was after we graduated. Um but yeah, that's a little bit about how I ended up in Muncie. So now I work part-time for the Revo. And then the other um, half of my time, I guess, goes to teaching public speaking, Com210 at Ball State. And then I'm working on my master's in communication studies. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. It's really good. Thanks for sharing Thanks. your story with us. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so then I guess like kind of another question kind of going forth from that, like, um, you know, how has your quarantine and like self-isolation been? Like what sort of things have you been doing to keep active and keep motivated, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm probably one of the few personalities that actually really thrives under the system. <laughs> just because I think yeah. like, yeah, I'm actually really introverted, mm. but spend a lot of time around people. And so I think I've really been enjoying the time to myself and especially like the time of like uninterrupted focus. Like it's like I could spend hours focusing on one thing without anyone interrupting me. And I really, really enjoy that. Um, so overall, like my quarantine has actually been fairly good. Um, I think it's been a little bit harder since the semester ended because I have less to work on now. I'm only working 20 hours for the Revo right now. So most of the time I'm like, well, what do I do with all of my time? Um, and I think like, I still feel pretty motivated. I think like, this is awful. But before the school year ended, the thing that motivated me was anxiety. Like mm. I was like, I just have so much to do. Like I just need to wake up and do it and work till whenever. Um, but now I think like the thing that has motivated me is just getting to pursue different things that I don't get to during the school year when I have more going on. So yeah, it's probably, it's been a pretty good experience for yeah. me. Uh, of course, it's been like sad thinking about what's going on in the world right now and even trying to support people that are probably more emotionally affected by this. But it's been good to be able to be in a good space personally. Yeah. So, yeah. Well it's, well, it's good to hear, though, because, yeah, definitely a lot of people kind of are struggling and kind of thriving in different ways because it's, it's just so yeah. weird. But it's good to hear that, you know, you're still finding a are managing to thrive yeah. and find stuff to keep you, you know, motivated and interested. So, for sure. How are you doing, Paul? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely finding that I am fairly, not necessarily bored, mm. but like I just don't have much to do. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, I probably just shouldn't complain about that, given the circumstances of like other individuals. Mm-hmm. So like usually my day consists of like kind of sleeping in until noon <laughs> most of the time, and then my breakfast and lunch is combined into one meal. <laughs> right then and there, <laughs> that's why I said I ate a whole pizza before this. But uh, anyways, right. so, <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I just try to find stuff to do during the yeah. week, like going to different parks and such, and like I guess my friends and I try and do stuff every once in a while but i mean because at this point in time everyone is i think is mostly done with school so i guess in terms of that like um like i just kind of had like an interview yesterday so i guess that was kind of a nice change of pace and then um you know the podcast is always really nice to do and uh, another kind of side note like the bassoon studio is doing something with feeding america where we are playing together and we're uploading that to the feeding america website so we can like raise support for COVID relief so that's definitely a nice project because it's something that we've really like gotten mm-hmm. into and there's different like different roles that everyone has to play so i, I think that's a, it's a really good thing to like kind of give me something mm-hmm. to do because like if i don't have something like assigned to me usually i just like don't do anything and that's where it just gets like very self-destructive in that sense so but sure. so yeah that's awesome though the bassoon thing sounds really cool yeah it is it's a really good time though um i'm not sure we're probably gonna be uploading like the first few pieces within the next couple weeks and so yeah but yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Jay, what would you say? Yeah. Jay, how is your how have you been? <laughs> I guess we're going in this little yeah. triangle here. <laughs> um it depends on the day for me. Uh some days I can right. feel like I'm in the lowest valley. Some days I feel like I'm in I'm I'm on top of the highest mountain. But today I'm kinda in between. Um so I'm climbing up a hill. Um I think like, yeah, it's been really hard for me to kinda feel excited about you know the summer being here just because it feels like really different this summer I was supposed to spend time out at like our leadership training program in SS Park Colorado 
um, which got canceled. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you yeah. got canceled? I didn't even know that. Yeah, so. Oh, no. That's why we're in Muncie, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's so sad. Yeah, it's so sad. But I think, oh, I know I've been challenged, I think, by a lot of people in my life to, yeah, kind of embrace, like, what might this season have for me, even though it's not what I expected or even what I wanted. How do I still, like, have open arms with, like, what, the Lord's going to do in this time. And so, I think that's been a learning process for me um, over the last several weeks, but especially this week, I feel like I'm just now starting to get to a place where I can receive that, you know, because I think <clears throat> I just wanted to kind of sit in the sadness and just be sad. But I think, yeah, I've, I've been intentionally processing that with people in my life. So it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for saying Yeah. <laughs> Aisha and I have this uh, thing, we call it Sad Girl Summer. Um, we call it <laughs> Well, that? Aisha calls it, and I just kind of use it. <laughs> I say, I've never heard you say yeah, that. Yeah, I've but... never said it, but. When we found out that LT was canceled, Jay was like, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm really sad. And we were like talking, and I was like, this is about to be Sad Girl Summer. <laughs> like, we're going to have Sad Girl Summer together. But that's not a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Being- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, go ahead, Paul. No, I was gonna say like I kind of. It's not like I forgot, but I, I kind of just in the back of my mind thought that like it was still going on, and then you said that I was like, oh, that that really sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know, but yeah. But I guess I'm proud of you guys for at least you know kind of trying to find the positivity from it because I know that could definitely be a hard thing to do, especially with an event yeah. like that that's so mm-hmm. like empowering to many different mm-hmm. people. But yeah. I want to give a shout out to Madison, who's in our house church. She's out there. She got there like a few days ago and is thriving. <laughs> she like posted all these photos like, oh, I'm here. And I was just so jealous. <laughs> but Amazing. She's like a faithful listener of this podcast. So I know she'll hear the shout out. <laughs> Hi, Madison. <laughs> um, part of this podcast, too, we want to spend time kind of um, dissecting, talking about uh, race and racism. I mean, obviously, in the past couple of weeks, we've seen in the media <clears throat> just a resurgence of, you know, people who are unarmed, gunned down, Black people, you know, gunned down by, you know, police officer or just a white person. Um, and that sparked a lot of dialogue on social media, um, on the news. Um, and so, I mean, this week, we've already been having a lot of conversations about those specific events, but I think there's a much larger conversation that needs to happen, um, you know, now. Um, Not necessarily just on this podcast, but I'm saying in the world, you know, large, I think there needs to be a larger conversation that people need to be having with their communities and the people that they're doing life with that goes beyond like an isolated event, because these things aren't isolated things. and so when Paul, you know, kind of presented the idea of like, what if we spend some time talking about this on the podcast? I was like, absolutely. I feel like this could be a good time to address some of those things. And <clears throat> Aisha, you and I, we're like, you know, two of the only people of color um, in our church. We are um, certainly in the probably 1% <laughs> as far as like, black people um and i think about like it just muncie at large too like there's not a whole people of color here let alone black people um so i guess i want to ask you like what has been your experience um being a black woman in muncie uh, but also in the revolution church Um, Yeah, I was thinking about this question earlier, and it's actually kind of funny because I feel like, um, so both of my parents, this is like kind of tangential, kind of not, but both of my parents were in the Air Force for 20 years. Um, So until I was 10, I moved around a lot. And for like three of those years, my family lived in Italy. And a lot of our family friends were my mom's friends from Mm. church and like her friends kids like that was essentially it like those are the people that we spent time with 
And as I've been reflecting on that, yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, like I was seven to 10. Like those were very formative years in my life where I was primarily growing up in like a black community, mm-hmm. you know? And then um, when I was 10, my family moved to Ohio. It's like a very, like, um, very like non-diverse town, like there's yeah. not, like there's just not very much diversity right like there was like a few black kids mm-hmm. in my school a few like um latinx students a few um asian students but overall it was like there weren't that many right like it was predominantly white like i think it's like i looked it up the other day and it was like 82 percent, 85 percent white um yeah so when i came to muncie and came to ball state i think like it was the first time where i had the opportunity to be friends with people of color like in um in like post adolescence right like all throughout adolescence mm-hmm. like I didn't have very many friends of color if any um and when I was in college a lot of my closest friends were women of color and people of color and I even think like when I think about being in Brandon's house church I'm like oh I love no. being a part of that house church because like Tony Lee is a woman of color. Brandon's a man of color, right? I instantly clicked with Dion, who's a man of color, right? Like, all of those things really mattered to me. And they were really, like, refreshing to me to, like, be around other people who had a similar experience to mine, whatever that looked like. Um, And so, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, though, Muncie, like, you look around and it feels and looks pretty white. I think it is a lot mm-hmm. more diverse than my hometown is, which I know is like a lot different mm-hmm. from a lot of other people of color's experience, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so I think it's made a huge difference to me to be able to have friends of color. Um, and even like a lot of um, friends that I've had, I've like met through the rebel, obviously, <clears throat> which again is like predominantly white, but even now, yeah. like, I think about like UJ or Dion or Alexis or Chris Portillo, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, oh, these are all people that like you all mean a lot to me because like when I think about community, I'm like, oh, these are the people that really feels like I can have honest conversations with that I can't have with other people in our church, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I also live with um, another woman of color. Her name is Adriana. So yeah, it's just been really nice for me to be surrounded by such a small pocket of people of color in like a predominantly like white bubble. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What what's your experience been, Jay? I'm sure it's kind of opposite. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a yeah really uh, good question. Even though I asked it to you, thank um, you. It was my question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I mean I guess my experience interestingly enough is similar but also different, you know. I mean, I grew up on the west side of Indianapolis where my high school was mostly black. Um but I ended up transferring to, transferring to a um accelerated academy. Um, where I was placed with the white kids because, you know, I wanted to graduate high school with my associate's degree because I was like a nerd and overachiever and all those things. But anyway, I kind of grew up in a community where, yeah, I experienced a lot of interaction with people of color, uh, mostly Black people and Latinx uh, people. And yeah, I felt like, great like this you know this is a lot of fun like I can connect and I can relate and I can you know use African-American vernacular English you know I didn't have to like kind of conform in any way um and so it was fine and I kind of lived with that um lived in that community for maybe like um most of my like elementary middle school and high school career um and then I decided that I wanted to go to Ball State I was considering three colleges. Um, It was Ball State, IU, Bloomington, and then the University of Spain. But I was going to completely just leave (laughs) the country and just go to the University of Spain. And my mom talked me out of going um, to Spain. And so I chose Ball State instead. 
But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I uh, when I got to Ball State, I was like, <laughs> right, I was like amazed at how little like people of color. Like, I mean, I felt like everywhere I you know went on campus, the majority of the people that I would run into were, I mean, white people. And I was like one of two people from my high school that actually went to Ball State. So I felt really alone um, for the first couple of weeks of my freshman year. Um, and somehow I plugged into the Revolution Church through meeting one of my good friends, Chris Portillo um, and Brandon Clemens and some other people who convinced me that I should check out this church called the Revolution. And I hadn't really been wanting to consider like re-engaging with the Lord or like giving my life to the Lord or going to a church, finding a church. But I went because I wanted community. And I saw that Chris Portillo was the first brown person <laughs> on campus that I had run into. And so I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm going to go and hang out with him. Became really good friends with him, but also felt like, man, this is very different than kind of what I grew up around. You know, like we, this revolution church, though Chris Portillo was brown, most of the church was white right like significantly white um the leadership and the pastoral team like very white um which my grandmother was a pastor and i kind of grew up going going to her church um a little bit and obviously i was in a church full of black people singing gospel music <laughs> um, and not like contemporary worship and hearing very like dramatic energetic sermons <laughs> and you know things like that from all kinds of people and um, sitting in church for three and four hours long instead of just an hour, like in the, the revolution. <laughs> um, and so it was just very different. And I had to, I found myself kind of like, kind of trying to transform or conform myself to like fit into the culture. Um, but, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been recognizing the ways that like, and that's actually done me more harm been good and so I'm having to kind of learn ways to push back against that and advocate for not necessarily diversity but more so like inclusion right um so yeah that's really interesting because I feel like yeah like I grew up in similar churches like it was mm -hmm. like gospel music we would go to church in the morning and then like leave for lunch and then <laughs> usually it was like come back that night you know like, all day yeah. kind of affair you could never like not dress up for church, always have to wear a Sunday vest, like those kinds of things. And I remember when I got to Doretto, I was like, this is like a church I've never experienced before. Mm -hmm. like, I've never heard worship music like this. Like all I've ever heard is gospel music. Mm -hmm. um, I was not used to like one, one hour and like we're done kind of thing. <laughs> And I remember like my roommate originally invited me because she was like, I don't want to be the only person wearing jeans. And I was like, mm. oh, I'll wear jeans with you, you know, and then they get there and like people are wearing sweatpants, like no one really cares. <laughs> um, but I remember just thinking like how much I appreciated having something different, you know, and mm. I was just like, because I think a lot of uh, my church experience growing up like was very, very um charismatic in a way and I don't mean that as like um it's like Pentecostalism yeah. I more so mean like big expressions of faith mm -hmm. you know like people falling out in the spirit or yeah. like gospel songs that keep going on and on or like mm -hmm. very um exasperated preaching and all of those things were like really overwhelming to me mm -hmm. like I was this feels so far removed from like who I am as a person like I feel like I can be yeah. very um like I get overstimulated really easily by like loud noises things like and like lots of excitement and so I think it's interesting that we're both black you know and we had similar experiences growing up yeah when it comes to church you know but it's like what we were looking for in church or what we found in the Revo like was very different yeah, you know for sure um, and I remember like gospel choirs coming to the Revo when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Like, I still like really <laughs> yeah. love gospel music. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember like white people in the church kind of like looking around and being like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Or even like one time I was sitting by these people that were making like kind of rude comments about the choir. And yeah. I was like, oh, 
like people aren't used to this different kind of cultural experience you know yeah. but this like to me the revo is a different kind of cultural experience so yeah. i think like i don't know something really interesting about that yeah i think it's interesting because <clears throat> i mean i think even though we're talking about race and we're both black right that like it's important to distinguish that like we're not a monolith culture isn't you know exactly the same and it's like we have shared experiences but there's like diversity within that too um and so that like yeah just because we you know the two of us were talking about our experiences doesn't mean that we are the sole voices about the black experience going into a white church or specifically the revolution even right like we can invite mm -hmm. dion or, or someone else to like come on the podcast and, and share their own experiences they may some different, you know, perspectives as well. So, um, yeah, sure. but. Um, now, what is, what is something you feel like, um, yeah, that you wish was different about your, and I didn't, I didn't kind of give you this question earlier. Um, so I'm going to kind of. <laughs> give it to you on the, on the fly. What do you think kind of keeping in mind, like, oh, the experiences that you had, you know, coming to Muncie, going to Ball State, getting involved in the revolution, are there things about your experience that you would, that you wish were different or that you would change or? Um, I do wonder sometimes, like, if, if like, um, I know it's hard because I feel like on Ball State's campus, like there are pockets of people of color, you know, and I think it's interesting. Like, it's like you see people of color, like in your gen eds, right? Like, it's like you're taking history 150. Maybe that's the first time you've seen like a person of color on campus or had a person of color in your mm -hmm. class, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're at the mm -hmm. bookstore returning your books at the end of the semester and you see people of color like hanging out oh. together, you know, Um I think what I've realized since I graduated was that I missed out on those pockets of people and even like being on staff, I know like what's that event at the beginning of the semester that the first semester that we go to, it's like, no, quad not bash. quad bash. It's like specifically for diversity organizations on campus. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I can't think I can't, of the name That's of terrible. I can't think of the name either. <laughs> But I think going to that, like, I realized how much um, people of color on Ball State's campus have worked to maintain community with one another, um, whether mm. it's, like, the Latinx student organization or BSA or the different kinds of Black fraternities and sororities that are on campus. Um, I just think, like, I completely missed out on those things. And... Mm -hmm. I wish that, like, I would have joined or, like, invited others to join with me as a way of, like, feeling more comfortable in those spaces. Because I think that, like, my own experience, like, I'm half white, half black. And because I grew up in a predominantly white space, I think I was very uncomfortable coming to college and, like, having to, like, uncover, like, mm -hmm. oh, in a lot of ways, I've just been functioning as, like, whatever like we'll just yeah. pretend like there's no difference between me and like you right like a white person it's like oh I'll just be like there's really yeah. no difference between us even though there is right like there's a whole cultural experience that I'm having that yeah. other people aren't having or like effects of like mm -hmm. race and gender on me that aren't the same of like all of my white dude friends in high school right and so I yeah. do think like I wish that I had had more experiences in college with people of color and even now, I think um, being more removed specifically from women of color in college, I'm like, I wish mm -hmm. that I had more friends that were women of color. And even in the Revo, um, I just don't think that there are yeah. many, one, women of color and two, Black women specifically. Um, yeah. And I think that that makes me feel really grieved. So I do, I, th I think that mm -hmm. is something that I wish I would have like, done differently or I wish was different right now if that yeah. answers your question yeah sure no yeah that's great that's good 
Um, I guess like kind of another question summoned from that is like, what advice do you have for someone like, you know, who wants to talk like openly and honestly about conversations such as this, like race and racism, what would you want to say to them, I guess? Is that advice for people of color or is it for white people? Let's do both. Okay. Yeah. Well, probably what I would say to like people of color is like people of color do have honest conversations about race, right? Like every time I hang out with my friends of color, we're talking about race every single time. I don't know that Mm -hmm. I've ever hung out with Jay or Dion or my roommates, two of my roommates or um, Chris Portillo and not talked about race, right? Like it's just something that we talk about Mm -hmm. frequently and is an honest conversation or an expression of like where we're at or like what's going on with us. And I don't know, like, maybe, like, I don't know what people who, like, I don't know what white people assume about those conversations. Maybe it's, like, they assume we're talking about, I don't know, like, political things or, like, things going on in the world, right? Like, I think since stuff happened with Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery, Mm -hmm. like, it's, like, Jay and I have had a few conversations about that, right? But, like, Mm -hmm. most of our conversations about race don't involve these kind of, like, macro structures as much as they involve like our own personal experience and the experiences yeah. of people that we know. Right. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I probably say like for people of color, like I, I think I would just encourage, and I feel like, I don't know, Jay can probably speak to this more than I can, but I feel like I frequently am looking for opportunities to more readily challenge and confront um racism and interpersonal relationships with white people but I think that there's a lot of of risk in that um and so with my friends of color I feel like I'm often trying to work out like what does it mean to live in a relationship with white people and how do we have like healthy relationships with white people where we can be honest about race and I, I I don't know if I believe like I don't know if that's possible like I don't know that I've experienced it but I think I'm always hopeful that it can happen. And then I would say like my advice for white people. um, Yeah. I was talking to Jenna last week and one of the things she said, she like quoted someone else and she was like, she said she has like these friends from high school. I think it was. And she said that her friend from high school, that's like a man of color was like, if your friends of color aren't talking to you about race, they're not actually your friends. And I was like, that is true. Like, it's like, I have lots of friends, like white friends, Mm -hmm. but I I would say like, because we can't talk about race or we aren't talking about race, like that friendship can't go any deeper, right? Like, it's like, you can't know me on a more intimate level unless we're talking about race. And if we're not talking about race or I don't trust you to talk about that or bring it up, like we're probably not as close, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think something I've been realizing lately is just this, that often white people don't talk to me about race unless it involves, like, something in the news mm-hmm. or something going on politically. Yeah. Uh, and that always feels kind of hard because I'm like, yeah, these instances are heartbreaking and they're affecting me. But more than that's affecting me, it's actually, like, the racist comment that you said last week <laughs> that you didn't even realize that you said yeah. because it affects like, I'm like, then I'm like, Oh, well, what do you think about me? What do you think about people of color that I love? Mm-hmm. What do you think about these political situations of other people that look like me or look like my family members, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think like, I wish more white people would regularly ask honest questions of like how how am I participating in racism and how can I actively be more Mm anti-racist and I think that my assumption at least is that white people don't do that um out of fear of losing face Mm -hmm. maybe of like oh like what is this person going to think of me but I think if we're honestly pursuing vulnerable relationships with each other, that requires like messing up 
and then like repenting yeah right and asking for forgiveness and I think that that's okay like I would much rather have a conversation with a white person where they're like oh like I had this thought oh my gosh is that racist and then I say yeah that's racist and then we have this kind of awkward conversation about that and then they come to me and they're like I'm really sorry then like to just never talk about race you know because then I just think like do you just think I'm like you? Like, do you think we have the same experiences? Because we don't. Yeah. And there's a whole part of me that I just don't get to talk about. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. I really appreciate the distinguish, uh, the, um, how you distinguish between being not racist and anti-racist, right? Like there's, there's a difference there. I mean, one is like a super passive, like, oh, I'm just not gonna, you know, um, say anything and just kind of like feel sad. <laughs> and the other is actually like doing things to like, you know, tear down systems in place to have conversations and to change, you know, your mind, right? Like about conversations about race, how to engage with it um, and how to like not prioritize your own feelings, but but more so the feelings of the person who is marginalized, who is, you know, the person of color. Um, I guess a very important, yeah, point, so. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It was very, yeah, very powerful stuff. Kind of one thing that I really wanted to highlight, kind of what you said was when you kind of were bringing up, like, you know, when I'm probably going to butcher the name, but Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia and other instances such as that when, like, people – you know, come to you as like people of color for that matter. And they like talk this stuff, talk about this stuff with you where it's kind of like, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's very horrible stuff. It is, but like, you know, you don't address all the other things that happen like on a day-to-day basis, like other things go on, but you know, they just don't hit the news because they're like not that, you know, Hmm. massive of a thing, like where everyone's going to hear about it. But, you know, I I think that was a very important thing to address where like, you know, you're like, oh, this is so horrible, but, like, there's still stuff happening, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of below that, where it's very just, like, surface level, but, like, it still means a lot to people, because it, it can still be very, like, hurtful things, and you just don't know it, and I think kind of the important thing is, you know, being honest and, like, open and talking about that, kind of one thing that I definitely learned about, you know, mostly Jay here, but, I mean, you too, Aisha, like, meeting both you guys, like, kind of taught me to be vulnerable about that stuff but at the same time like you know it, it makes me like you know curious and like I'm kind of yearning to like to learn more about how to yeah. be like anti-racist and you know and you know be very proactive about that stuff and like even just like in simple conversation if something comes up just being like hey like maybe that's not the best thing that you should say and let's let's talk about this as opposed to like you know just being hateful towards that person just cl- yeah. <laughs> being hateful towards that person because we don't want to be we don't want to like be mm-hmm. proactive and hatred like yeah. we want to you know, love each other of course so. yeah that's another point I that, that I, definitely... I thought was interesting too um i know you guys have to go here which we'll, we'll make it quick but um i was thinking i don't have any okay. <laughs> um i don't but either. even the difference of how even that's like a level of privilege right um, for like, there's a lot of white people who, you know, can say, oh, I'm anti-racist and are kind of looked at it to be like a hero or like they're changing the world. But like, you know, Aisha mentioning earlier, like how having to have conversations really vulnerably with the people of color in her life, but also the like white people in her life to say, hey, are you really my friend? Oh, can I challenge you on this thing that was problematic that you said a couple of days ago? Like whatever like oftentimes we can get labeled as like aggressive or um, mean or a bully and especially black women um, can get labeled like those things. And so, I mean, I think that's a whole separate conversation because I mean, that even like leaks over into the history of the church and all that stuff. But um, yeah, I feel like we're, we're touching the tip of the iceberg. We're not even, (laughs) you know, just the very, introduction to the conversation so yeah for sure yeah yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Really kind of vulnerable stuff, but, you know, I, I think it's something worth still mentioning and talking about. Like, that's kind of the reason that, you know, of course, I was raised a lot differently, of course, yeah. and, you know, I'm a white person, so I, you know, have different upbringings and different, like, I have different beliefs and whatnot, and I was raised around different people, but, like, honestly, my, <laughs> some people on the certain side of my family are not the most proactive mm. when it comes to talking about stuff like this where they are often very they're like oh this is how i was raised i'm like well i mean sure but it's yeah it's not right for you to say sort of thing but you know at the same time jay i, I really like what you said too where it's like you can say you can say all you want like oh i'm anti-racist and you mm-hmm. may be coming across as like this big hero but mm-hmm. i mean you're kind of just like saying stuff like you're not really doing stuff about it which you know is really important i think the best thing that you can do i guess kind of just my opinion is like you know being open and talking to people whether it's you know people of color or people like you know not of color and whether they have very strong opinions or not not strong opinions because you know it's a very important thing to talk about because like it there's there's just a lot of things happening whether it's like you know over the news or like just day-to-day stuff like it's something that should be brought up and and another thing is just regularly you know i think like that's such a big thing to do. I mean, I think lots of white people, especially in the church, um, because we can kind of wear like our faith, like on our sleeves, like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, pretend that I actually care just because scripture tells me to or whatever. And that can kind of like, I don't know, lead into this place of kind of like um, you centering yourself. Um, And so what we really need to be doing is, listening to the people who are actually being affected and not center like your your own yourself right i mean i think for i mean that can go from men listening to women in the church right like um white people listening to people of color and their experiences in the church um and and just kind of being willing to hear you know gently and lovingly like being rebuked (laughs) um but also like um being educated i mean i think we shouldn't have to always be educating the people who are we're around, but I think naturally that's something that we have to do. <laughs> um, so, I there's a few things I want yeah. to add. I think like something that I assume is that this is true for me. Like if ever I'm interacting with a person that is different from mm-hmm. me in a way that I have the privilege, right, and they do not, yeah. my assumption is like oh, there's going to be this gotcha moment, mm-hmm. right? Where they're like, oh, I got you. Like, look at <laughs> yeah, you. You're prejudiced. You're hateful. You're a terrible yeah. person, right? And I think, like, the thing that makes me, like, really... Well, one of the things that makes me really thankful for the gospel mm-hmm. is I know that I don't have to fear those gotcha mm-hmm. moments, right? Like, I'm like, no, like, they're just going to happen, you know? Because it's like... um, We're all yeah. sinners, yeah. right? We all are sinners. Like, we all like i don't know in some way have privilege that is harmful like actually harmful to other people and so i'm like yeah inevitably i will be interacting with someone where i hold the privilege and there will be a moment where like my prejudice my hatred my sinfulness Mm -hmm. is exposed right and i think that i don't need to be fearful of those moments because i'm like oh man like when this is exposed, what's actually happening is it's being brought to the mm-hmm. light, right? And then I have the opportunity to say, like, oh, this thing that was exposed, like, I'm actually really ashamed of it. Or, like, I could say, like, you know what? This thing that's been exposed, like, I have the opportunity to say, like, you're right. This is not good. Like, this is evil. And I want to repent of yeah. it and ask for your forgiveness and ask for the Lord's forgiveness teach me like how to be better you know like how do i not do this thing that exposes like the sinful parts of who i am yeah right um so i think like even when i talk to white people i think that 
I wonder if they like tiptoe in conversation with me or even because I'm like so white passing I wonder if people say things to me that they wouldn't feel comfortable saying to like a person who has darker skin um yeah and I wonder if their thought process is like oh like I've been caught in the act of something right Mm -hmm. like I've been caught in my racism and I'm like I'm not like I'm not out here to get you you know like I'm not out here to be like gotcha like you're racist you know like I have Mm -hmm. no interest in that because it's not productive Mm -hmm. right like so I don't I don't know that in engaging in honest conversations about race like we need to fear saying all the right things and doing all the right things because ultimately like we can't right Mm -hmm. like even when I talk about race I can't say and do all the right things and that's not the point right I think the point and I'm sure other people would disagree with me but I think the point is reconciled relationships Mm -hmm. right and so um that reconciliation happens in like my actual interpersonal relationships right and then that should reflect my like material conditions right like I think often about um Mm -hmm. the way that self-doubt is a product of race and gender in my life Mm -hmm. like I'm like yeah like the first time someone told me I was intelligent was my freshman year of college Mm -hmm. or maybe my sophomore year of college (laughs) and I'm like that's kind of wild like I'm sure I had teachers growing up that said those kinds of things to me but I think often like I was overlooked for like my white male counterparts for sure And I'm like, oh, that's really sad, you know, because what's ultimately happened is I haven't pursued opportunities because I'm like, oh, I don't qualify for that. Like, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough, whatever. But like, my white male counterparts are like, of course, I'm good enough for this, you know, when in reality, like, I may be more intelligent than them. And so I think yeah, when we give up our privilege, what actually happens is we're saying to another person, like, I I don't need to benefit over something that I didn't earn, like I was just given. And instead, like, I want to actually exalt you so that you can benefit from my privilege or from someone else's privilege or whatever. Or I want to dismantle this privilege that I just inherently have. Yeah. So that you can be recognized for who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that we try to make that something that's like really like ethereal or really like, like, oh, it's out there. Like mm-hmm. it's not here in my personal experience. Yeah. But I think it really can be like in our personal experience. And it could be like, you know, like it's like it could be like, oh, I'm talking to Jay about, yeah, like how, um, how his day was Mm -hmm. you know like in what ways were different you know and recognizing like that there is difference so I don't know I think I want to be careful in saying like that when we talk about race it's not like we're out to get people you know um and also like I don't know I think the unique part about the church is like being able to say that privilege or white people, or fill in the blank, right? Like, that that's not the problem. The problem is um, sin. And the good news-ish is that, like, we're all affected by that. You know, like, that's a condition that we're Mm -hmm. all participants in. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, That's really good. Thanks for explaining all that and elaborating. It's good. Um, Paul, you, no. were you going to say something? <laughs> no, I. Yeah. No, she yeah. said it. Um, I was telling Paul yeah. this. I think a couple days ago. Uh, actually, maybe it was last week when we recorded the last episode with Logan Arnold and Mr. Kent Glass. Um. Wow, yeah. celebrities. We were talking about how each episode has gotten longer and longer. Like, our first episode was, like, 15 minutes, and then it got longer and longer each episode. So, <laughs> I like it. Um, yeah. We're, we're growing out here. <laughs> yeah. Got a lot of good content. It's 56 I have, minutes long. I have a question. But, yeah. 
Um, what does this have to do with eating? Good question. Um, I've gotten that question a lot um, in the last week. And Paul, you can answer this if you if you want. But I can say um, that I think um, it's a play on words. So if you look at the graphic. Wait, 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 wait. wait. You were going to let Paul answer. And then you just kept talking. Well, well I was going to say that. He can answer. And I can answer. Because okay, I, I don't think our answers are similar. Or maybe they are. If you want to answer first, you can. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, well, I'll just go ahead and say, like, I mean, it's going to be, yeah, yeah playing the words, of course, what Jay had just said. But, like, I guess my interpretation is, like, eating of, and I'm saying the exact same thing, but, like, eating the word, which is, like, the word today is just, like, discussion on upon, like, you know, racism and how to, like, talk about that and how it relates to, like, Christianity and, like, you know, our, our modern yeah. lives. So, like, that can go into any different episode, like, you know, eating the word about movies or eating the word. And then, like, the word actually can be, like, you know, referenced, mm-hmm. like, biblically, you know, like, the yeah. word of God. Actually, of Paul, all, kind of everything you said was exactly what I would have said. So I should have, yeah, let you have. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. And on that note. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Aisha. Uh, cool. we, uh, it, we end every episode with, I mean, yeah. in the last three episodes we've done this. With a recommendation. Um, so we recommend yeah. okay. a book, a song, a movie, um, a food, a drink to the audience. So. Mm. <laughs> okay. So I'm supposed to recommend yeah. something. Okay. Um, trying to think. I feel like I should recommend something like related to yeah. race. I'm going to recommend a book, of course, because why would I recommend mm-hmm. anything else? And it's not going to be Tyler Johnson was here, <laughs> although I do support that book. It's on my book. Um, I'm going to recommend the book. We were eight years in power by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Good. I think that's a really good book and I really recommend it to people. Yeah. It's good. Thanks for the rec. Cool. Of course. Paul. <laughs> Jay, what's your, your rec- Oh, no. Oh. Um, mine, mine, I always feel like mine's so silly because, like, I don't yeah. have anything that significant that I could recommend. But, um, usually I've just done like content creators on YouTube. But I'm probably gonna say, yeah, <laughs> uh, Culver's ice cream. <laughs> nice, yeah, it's nice, yeah. straight up. Like, I, yeah, I custard, it's, did it's you know good. that they Please have a veggie burger at Culver's? Yeah. I bet they do. Now I, you know, I haven't tried and you can it, try it. I bet they do. <laughs> no, that is true. I can try that. So, Jay, what is your recommendation? Yeah, my recommendation might be a little controversial, um, but I would recommend the Netflix show called All American. Um, I am currently like 13 episodes in. There are like two seasons. Um, and it's all about kind of like living in the inner city this guy who's a football player in high school who gets a transfer to like a another school in Beverly Hills where he's sort of like kind of like what we talked about earlier, like is presented with this culture of like, now he's on this all white basketball or football team. Um, and he's the only, one of the only black people on the team and trying to navigate the two worlds. Um, it's really, it validated a lot of my experiences <laughs> um, and it's just it's also like just a really interesting show about like love and community and friendship um so i would recommend that cool sweet well i think that kind of wraps it up for episode five here and you know i'd like to extend a thanks both to you know jay and aisha for being very vulnerable and talking about this stuff like it's very powerful stuff and very it's yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of lost for words for it because it's you guys are very smart individuals, and I appreciate everything that you have to say about it. But, yeah, and thanks to Aisha for, yeah, for coming on the show. Me. I would do anything for you, Paul. Anything. <laughs> Jay was like, I, I Jay was like, that. Paul wants to have you Thank on you, the Jen. show, and I was like, maybe. And he was like, Paul wants to talk about race, and I was like, I anything for Paul. Yes. <laughs>
We love you, Aisha. Cool. All right. I okay. I think that that's gonna do it here. So we'll catch you next time yeah. for episode six. Eden, Jane, Paul, and bye guys. Off here, so bye. see you guys. Bye.